As Emmanuel mentioned, we have had Pastor Chris here for the last two Sundays, so we've taken a little two-week break from our mini-series. But we pick up again this morning with our study of the fruit of the Spirit section here in Galatians 5, which I just read to you. And we've already looked at some important concepts in the chapter. For example, what is the flesh? What What does Paul mean? He's not talking about our bodies. He's talking about the remaining corruption, the sinful corruption of our nature that we even still experience as Christians. What is the relationship between being led by the Spirit and our obligation to the law of God? When it says in Galatians 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Does that mean that idolatry is okay now? And you can go ahead and murder and commit adultery and we have no obligation now that we're led by the Spirit. Well, we've looked at some of these, these concepts and we've brought out some of the important conceptual, the, the important conceptual framework within which the list appears in Galatians 5. Because when we read this section, the list is famous. But the concepts that, are, that surround and frame the list are not always as readily understood. So we began our study of this section of Galatians 5 by looking at some of these concepts. You can go back and listen to any of those previous messages on our website, crbcbarbados.com. So I won't bother to rehash all of that information at length. But I mention it because it's important to remember that... Galatians 5 includes a lot more than the infamous list that we all think of when we think of the phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. And in fact, we probably won't understand the list quite right if we don't take the time to understand the context and some of the concepts that frame the list. So, if this is the first sermon you're hearing in this mini-series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the introductory messages prior to the list, if you haven't already. But that being said, we pick up this morning in the list, in the middle of the list. We are in the list again this morning. And we're picking up where we left off, and our focus this morning is on the Greek word pistis, translated here in our English Standard Version Bibles as faithfulness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is pistis. What is pistis? Well, some have suggested that the word here, pistis, the Greek word translated in our English Bibles as faithfulness, really ought to be translated simply as faith, which is how it appears in the King James Version. Implying that it is faith in Jesus and faith in all of God's promises which find their yes and amen in Him. John Gill, for example, takes it this way. He says, faith is a gift of God. The operation of His power. The work of His Spirit. And which therefore must have a place among His fruits. And which lies and shows itself in believing in Christ for salvation, in embracing the doctrines of the gospel, and he goes on, etc., etc. However, even Gill acknowledges that the possibility of the word used here, meaning faith in Christ, is, and I quote, generally excluded by interpreters. 
In other words, Gil acknowledges that he's in the minority to understand the word here to mean faith. Most, even of the older interpreters who used the King James Version, disagree with Gill's understanding of the sense of this term. For example, Matthew Henry says that this word means fidelity, justice, and honesty in what we profess and promise to others. In other words, faithfulness, trustworthiness, which is how the ESV has it, faithfulness. The more modern commentator, Ronald Fung, who's, who's not uh, an older writer like uh, Matthew Henry or like Gill, he summarizes the majority understanding of the word here used this way. Pistis, which is the Greek word in question, has already occurred many times in Galatians in the sense of faith in God and or in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.16 Galatians 2.20, 3 verse 2, 3 verse 5, 3 verses 7 to 9, 3 11, 3 22 to 26, and 5, chapter 5 and verse 5. Here, however, Fung says, where ethical qualities are in view, the word does not denote that basic principle of the human relationship with God, justifying faith. Rather, Pistis here apparently means faithfulness, fidelity, that is, loyalty and trustworthiness in one's dealings with others. As in Matthew 23 and verse 23, Romans chapter 3 and verse 3, and Titus chapter 2 and verse 10. End quote. So here's a summary of the two possibilities, the two options that are before us. On the one hand, the majority of interpreters take this word, pistis, here in this list of the fruit of the Spirit, to mean faithfulness, trustworthiness, in the context here of Galatians 5.22, in the same sort of way that the word, the same word is translated in Titus chapter 2 and verse 10, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So that possibility is not, within, not without precedent in the Scriptures and in the ancient Greek language. And the majority take the Greek word here in Galatians 5.22 to mean something like this, acting in good faith, being trustworthy and faithful to do what we say we're going to do, to follow through on our promises to be dependable in carrying out those responsibilities which have been entrusted to us insofar as it is within our power to see those things through. That's the way the majority of interpreters take that word. And so the ESV renders it that way, faithfulness. On the other hand, the minority of interpreters take this word to mean faith in Jesus and more generally all the promises of God which find their fulfillment in and through Christ Jesus. Well, which of these options is correct? In a very real sense, both. Because if I put it, the question to you like this, does the Holy Spirit bear in us the fruit of faith in Jesus, 
Or does he bear in us the fruit of faithfulness and trustworthiness? I hope you can see that that's a false dichotomy. And that the Holy Spirit brings us to faith in Jesus and makes us faithful and trustworthy people. So in that sense, the fruit of the Spirit is faith and the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The Holy Spirit will make us believers in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will make believers in Christ Jesus increasingly faithful and trustworthy people as time goes on. So in that sense, the fruit of the Spirit is faith, and the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. However, if we frame the question like this, which of these is intended in Galatians 5.22, does Galatians 5.22 intend to convey that the Holy Spirit will bear in us the fruit of faith in Jesus and all that God promises more generally, or the fruit of faithfulness and trustworthiness, if we frame the question this way, I believe the correct answer is what John Gill said, that the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Faith is a gift of God, the operation of His power and the work of His Spirit, which therefore must have a place among His fruits in which lies and shows itself in believing in Christ for salvation, in embracing the doctrines of the gospel, etc. Gill makes the point that there are lots of people out there who are relatively faithful, trustworthy people, even if they don't know Jesus. And so Gill is making the point that faith is a, is a unique work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. Now, that is, in itself is not conclusive. As I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is going, to, is going to make us good in common ways, in ways common with unbelievers. Let's say you're a really terrible, bad, unbelieving person. You're just the bottom of the barrel. You're a terrible guy. You lie to people, you deceive people, you steal from people, you, you're lazy, you sleep in instead of going to work, and then you tell your boss you were sick, and you, you just, you, any vice you can imagine, you do it. You're just a terrible guy. Look, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He is going to make you a believer in Christ Jesus, but He's also going to make you good in ways that are common even with unbelievers, if I can put it that way. He's going to make you work hard at your job. He's going to make you be more trustworthy in terms of your dealings with others and so on and so forth. So the Holy Spirit does more than make us good in the way that, say, for example, the, the very disciplined ancient Greek philosophers who sought a virtuous life were good. The Holy Spirit's going to do much more than simply make us like a noble stoic. But the Holy Spirit's not going to do less than make us a relatively good person on, a, on the scale that we're all on, believers and unbelievers alike, right? The Holy Spirit's going to try to rectify character defects. So, so that point that Gil makes is not conclusive, but it does point us, it does make us think more carefully about it. Imagine if you went all the way through what the Holy Spirit does in, in, in your life, all the fruits of the Spirit here, and this is a sample list, remember, this is not an exhaustive list, but if we went through a sample list of 
what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life, and believing in Jesus wasn't even there, doesn't that seem to be a pretty glaring omission? In other words, when you think of the main things that the Holy Spirit would do, surely it would be to bring you to faith in Christ, as opposed to the fruit that the flesh would bear in your life, which would be, look at your Bibles here, in verse 20, among the fruit that the flesh would bear in your life, idolatry and sorcery. So, in other words, if sinful corruption has its way, you're going to worship false gods. But if the Holy Spirit has His way, you're going to come to faith in Christ Jesus. Even Ronald Fung, who I quoted earlier, who holds the other view, proves too much when he says that pistis has already occurred many times in Galatians in the sense of faith in God and or Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.16, If this is the way that Paul's been using this word all along in the whole book of Galatians, then it is most likely he's using the word the same way in Galatians 5.22, unless there's a compelling reason to think otherwise. And moreover, the word in question occurs 244 times in the New Testament, and in only three of those 244 times does the word mean trustworthiness and faithfulness. So I do believe that the King James Version got this one right in translating this word as faith, as opposed to faithfulness, as our English Standard Version translates it. As I said, this understanding is strengthened by the fact that the list of the works of the flesh that we, that we find prior to the fruit of the Spirit include idolatry and sorcery, in addition to things like you know, fits of anger and drunkenness and whatnot. There is a religious orientation to what the works of the flesh are. And likewise, there is a religious orientation to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that the Spirit bears in our lives. The flesh will produce religious commitments to false gods. And permit us to engage in spiritual practices like sorcery. Or tarot cards. Or Ouija boards. Or astrology. And zodiac signs. Or obia. Or whatever else. On the other hand, the Spirit will produce in us faith in Jesus. For salvation and Faith in Jesus as a shepherd to guide us through life without feeling like we need to resort to finding out and determining our fate apart from Him. So the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Now this leads us pretty naturally to a consideration of how the Holy Spirit bears the fruit of faith in us. Many people think of faith in binary terms. You either have faith or you don't. And with respect to justification, that's true. Justification is being declared righteous in God's sight and pardoned for our sin. And with respect to justification, you are either trusting wholly and entirely 
in Christ Jesus for salvation from sin, or you're not. It can't be both. And therefore, it is a binary thing. You are either justified in God's sight, or you're not. You're either exercising saving faith in Christ Jesus, or you're not. In that sense, faith is binary. You either have saving faith, or you don't. And it is the Spirit's work to bear that fruit of faith, saving faith in your life in the first place. Christian, you were blind until the Holy Spirit opened up your eyes to see your own sin, your lostness, your need for a Savior. And until the Holy Spirit showed you the sufficiency of Christ to save you, that you can let go of everything else and trust entirely and solely in Christ Jesus. And that on Christ, the solid rock, you will stand. And all other ground is sinking sand. Until the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to that, you were blind. If you are a Christian, it is because at some point, the Holy Spirit showed you that you had no righteousness of your own. That all of your righteousness... Not all of your sin, but all of your righteousness. If you put the very best things on your resume or your CV and you bring it to God. Here's why you should justify me, God. All of your righteousness is as filthy rags. The Holy Spirit showed you that you had no righteousness of your own. And that you needed to trust in Jesus' perfect life to be your righteousness. If you are a Christian, it is because at some point the Holy Spirit showed you that you deserved to bear the wrath of God for your sin. Yourself. And that you needed to trust in Jesus' penalty-bearing death on the cross to be your propitiation. Thus, if you are a Christian, you are a Christian because... The Holy Spirit has borne the fruit of faith in your life. That being said, many people think that the Holy Spirit basically stops here with respect to bearing faith in you. Well, He already has borne faith. I'm a Christian, aren't I? His work is done. Here I am. I have faith in Jesus. And He is no longer bearing faith in me because I already have faith. Whether anyone would articulate it in such bald terms or not, that's really the implicit position of many. However, Jesus prayed for Peter on the night before His crucifixion that Peter's faith may not fail. You remember that? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But take heart, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Who was it that sustained Peter's faith? Surely the Holy Spirit. And some Christians have a greater measure of faith than others. Listen to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Or Romans 12.6, just a few verses later. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Lastly, not, not saying exhaustively, but lastly of the examples I'm going to mention. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse, verses 4 and following. Taking note of what is said of faith in verse 9. But I'm going to read five verses here to give us a sense of the context. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. That passage is not teaching that some people have all the wisdom and other people don't have any wisdom. It's not teaching that some people have knowledge and other people have no knowledge. It's not teaching that the Spirit gives some people faith and the other people... This is Christians, right? Spiritual gifts. And the other Christians have no faith. It's not teaching that at all. But what he's saying is God endows some people with more wisdom than others. God endows some people with more knowledge than others. God endows some people with more faith than others. There are spiritual gifts which vary and differ. And so all Christians have some knowledge. All Christians have some wisdom. And all Christians have some faith. But some people have been specially gifted by the Holy Spirit with an extra measure of faith. We can prophesy in proportion to our faith. Romans 12.6 says, We ought to think of ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. There are degrees of faith that we all possess. Not all Christians have the same degree of faith. So, even after the Holy Spirit has borne the fruit of saving faith in your life, it does not stand to reason that His work is completely done with respect to bearing the fruit of faith in your life. It's not like, yeah, yeah, the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Yeah, He already bore that one in me. Moving on. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit may have brought you to saving faith, yes. But the Holy Spirit desires to bear the fruit of further faith in your life. Here is a shocking idea. Perhaps the Holy Spirit desires for you to grow in the Christian faith. Perhaps the Holy Spirit desires for you not to remain barely saved with, with just a modicum of faith, but perhaps the Holy Spirit desires for you to be, become increasingly full of faith. More, more entirely believing in who God is and in His promises. It seems so obvious when I say it that way, doesn't it? That the Holy Spirit might want us to grow in faith. And yet, many of us live functionally like we just have however much faith we have. And that's it. So yeah, well, you know, the Holy Spirit didn't give me the special spiritual gift of faith. So, you know, 
is what it is. How might the Spirit be working in you, Christian? I'm talking to the Christians now. You're already a believer, so the Holy Spirit has borne the fruit of faith in your life in that sense. How might the Spirit be working in you now, though you're already a believer, to bear the fruit of more faith in your life? Consider how and where you are tempted to disbelieve God. Do you believe that you need more money to be happy? Do you believe that you need a better marriage to be happy? Do you believe that you need a better job to be happy? Then you are tempted to disbelieve on that point. What God says in Psalm 81 and verse 10. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it with honey from the rock I will satisfy you or do you believe that your life is spinning out of control and no one is looking out for your best interests but you and you alone then you are tempted to disbelieve on that point what God says in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 29 to 31 are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. These are just examples. But can you see from these examples that believing God, which is what faith is, believing God includes not just believing God ultimately for salvation from sin, like I'm going to heaven when I die, but believing God involves and comprises believing God day to day. The things that He said in His Word about who He is and His disposition toward you so that you can navigate all the various challenges and circumstances that are happening in your life by faith. What does God say about this? Who is God to me with respect to this situation that I'm facing? What would it look like to go through this particular circumstance by faith? What would it look like for me to believe God such that I navigate the circumstances of my life in a believing way? By faith. The Holy Spirit is at work here at the intersection of your life circumstances and your unbelief. To bear right there the fruit of further faith. To bear in you the fruit of trust in God's person and the word He has spoken to you. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked to Christians battling with this certain sin. And I'm not, I'm not simplistic about growing in the faith. I understand it takes time. I understand that there's heart motives involved. And sometimes we're not aware of what those heart motives are. Sometimes there's deep-seated patterns that take a little while to change. Like turning around a big ocean liner doesn't happen on a dime. I understand that. I'm not simplistic about it. 
I don't have a naive and reductionistic view of anthropology. But at the end of the day, Christians, by the power of God's Spirit, with help and guidance from the Word of God and support from the community of faith, Christians can stop sinning in a particular way. Christians can repent. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to Christians who said, no, I can't. You know what that is? It's unbelief. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone going through a difficult period in their life. And again, I'm not, I'm not callous. I'm not insensitive to the difficulties. I, you, many of you know I've sat and cried with you about the difficulties in your life. I love you, I, I care for you, I'm, you, know, you know that I, sometimes I'm hard, yes, I know. But you also, you also know, many of you know that I've sat and cried with you about the difficulties in your life. I'm often compassionate and tender also. Again, I'm not reductionistic, I'm not simplistic about like it's not so bad or I'm never going to tell you just just buck up, keep a stiff upper lip, etc, etc. But I can't tell you how many times I've sat with Christians told them God is good God can be trusted and they've said I, I don't know if I believe that. Again, you know what that is? Unbelief. How many times I've sat and talked to people who are struggling with, with not having this or not having that or being in circumstances that they wish would change or this or that and say I, something like, I can't be happy until these things change. And I've told them these things may change or these things may not change. I am not the prophet nor the son of a prophet. Alright? I can't tell you what's going to happen here. But what I can tell you is that that the way forward for you looks like finding contentment in God even in the midst of these present circumstances. And I can't tell you how many times people have said to me something like, something like, I can't be content in God if these circumstances don't change. You know what that is? Unbelief. So am I saying these, these, these Christians are not real believers? No, not necessarily. Right? They may have saving faith. And yet, there is still unbelief, to some extent, latent and operative as they navigate their various circumstances. And it is right at that intersection of circumstances and unbelief. Circumstance, circumstance street and unbelief street. Right at that junction. Right there. That's where the Holy Spirit wants to meet you and bear the fruit of faith in your life. The Holy Spirit desires against the flesh. The Holy Spirit desires, therefore, that, that's in verse 17 of Galatians 5, by the way. The Holy Spirit desires against the flesh. The Holy Spirit desires, therefore, not that you resort to idolatry. 
to hoping in and living for something other than the one true God. The Holy Spirit desires, therefore, not that you take your problems to sorcery, astrology, or, or tarot cards, or obia, or the godless anti-Christian human wisdom, which comprises not all, but, but much of secular philosophy, psychology, sociology, politics, so forth. The Holy Spirit desires that you believe God when He says that He cares for you and that He will provide what is needful for you and good for you and that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with you. When you pass through the waters, He says in Isaiah 43, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. The Holy Spirit wants you to believe that. The Holy Spirit desires that you learn to go to God Himself with the words of the psalmist. Be to me a rock of refuge to whom I may continually come. The Holy Spirit desires that you learn to say again with the psalmist, I am continually with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The Holy Spirit desires that we learn to believe Him and navigate the circumstances of our life by faith. Not just that we barely believe and go to heaven when we die and just wander around here imbibing everything we hear from CNN and the Academy and our unbelieving neighbors and friends and just wander around here and barely get to heaven. The Holy Spirit wants us to live lives of faith where we walk by faith believing what God has said about who He is to us and for us and what He has promised us and how we ought to live. And that involves not, not merely surviving, but getting busy about the things that we ought to be busy about in this world. A life of faith looks also like believing what Jesus said, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, because... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Believe that He is with you always, even to the end of the age. And go make disciples. The Holy Spirit desires that we walk by faith through this life. Embrace the kind of life that we have been called to. Trust who God is and what He has promised us. The Holy Spirit will be at work everywhere in our lives where we are tempted to, un to unbelief. Right there. That's, that's the intersection where the Holy Spirit will meet you, wherever you're tempted to unbelief. 
And he is at work there desiring to solicit faith from you. Reminding you of the promises of God and prompting you to believe them. Right there then, at that intersection, is where you have to become aware that the Holy Spirit is with you at that intersection. And that He desires to bear the fruit of further faith in your life. And where you need to learn to yield to Him instead of staying stuck in unbelieving patterns of thinking and behaving. He desires to make us people of greater faith who live by what God has said rather than by any other standard. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 about different types of builders. Contractors, construction workers, builders. He says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So that tells us now he's talking about Christians. And he says that fire will test what sort of structures the different types of builders have built. And in this context, he says that some build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Well, others build with wood, hay, and straw. Now, if there's a wildfire coming through, I'd rather be in a structure made of gold, silver, and precious stones, rather than wood, hay, and straw. You get the idea? Now, he says this, if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Or, in other words, as one barely escaping the flames. Are you saved? Surely this is the primary question. Do you have faith in Christ? And in Christ Jesus alone to save you from your sins? This is the most important question. But even if you are a Christian and you're saying, yes, I believe in Christ and Christ alone to save me. You ought to consider the further question, are you living by faith? In other words, ask yourself, how are you building on the foundation? Are you building with gold, silver, and precious stones? Or are you building with wood, hay, and straw? Are you believing in who God is and what He has promised and walking according to what He has commanded and spending your life according to His framework and paradigm and priorities for you? Or are you living in constant doubt of God and uncertainty or sidelining God and living without reference to who He is and what He has both promised and commanded and you're just being guided instead by worldly, unbelieving ways of thinking. You may find, in the end, that you're saved as one barely escaping the flames because you didn't really exercise much faith beyond saving faith in your life. And you just imbibed 
the world's ideas about a good life and the world's priorities and the world's paradigm about family and church and God and you just you just did religion in a way that kind of makes sense to the unbelieving world kind of dabbled in it sort of tipped your hat to God believed sincerely and enough to be saved but as one barely escaping the flames and that you look back and you find that I really didn't I really didn't spend my life in a way that was full of faith in God's promises and who He is, what He's promised and what He's commanded. Where are you disbelieving God this morning, Christian? Where are you doubting God this morning? Where are you ignoring who God is and what He has promised you? Where are you resorting to godless, unchristian, or even anti-Christian ideas about your life and situation? Instead of going to the Word. Where are you embracing an unbelieving paradigm? Instead of considering what God has said and believing in God and proceeding accordingly. Right there, the Holy Spirit desires to bear the fruit of further faith in your life.